0: Chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. Hear now God's word. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those who dwe- all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their lang- own language, uh, Akil Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of, of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate. And let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied all of us, all the accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, uh, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must be become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, uh, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias, and they prayed and said, "You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen, to, uh, chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas, by uh, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place." And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said, Amen. Acts one fifteen through 26 is the lectionary text for today, which is the seventh Sunday of Easter and the Sunday before Pentecost. This is also the day that we chose to honor our four graduating high school seniors, uh, Caroline, Emma, uh, Clayton, and Leah. And since the Bible is full of instructions and lessons for life, I approached this particular text with an eye and an ear, for what lessons uh, we might find for our seniors to apply to their own new circumstances. Life is constantly changing. We are all facing both disrupting circumstances as well as new but unknown opportunities. The word of God gives direction for both of those, teaching us to trust and obey him for the future. So let's get some context here for our text. We saw in Luke chapter 24 and the opening of of Acts that the 11 apostles, along with some other disciples, have just experienced two earth-shattering events. First, their leader, along with all of their hopes and dreams, had died. He had been crushed, and they were huddled in fear regarding what was to come next. Second, Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them, spoke with them, ate with them. This was a complete reversal of fortune. They were hopeful, but they were still filled with a lot of uncertainty. The apostles, as it were, were graduating from their school with Jesus as their teacher And now they were about to commence, that is, to begin the hard and uncertain work of applying what they had been taught. You seniors have also been taught by Jesus through your families, through your church, and your teachers. And now you, too, are about to commence. That means to begin and to begin the application of all those lessons you've accumulated. In this text, we have the story of two disciples, and a disciple is a student, Judas and Matthias, two men with very different characters and responses to Jesus. This is a tale of two destinies. Now most of the story is about Judas. It's a warning, and so we're going to spend most of our time looking at this story, looking at Judas. In addition to the disciples' double shock of the diminuendo of the crucifixion and the crescendo of the resurrection, they had also been a, there had also been a swirl of other disrupting events. One of these was the shocking betrayal of Judas and his subsequent suicide. One of their very own, who was their treasurer, according to John 13, a member of the inner circle, one of the twelve, has apostatized and has betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 12, Jesus and the apostles were in Bethany. They were at the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus six days before the Passover. And Mary chose that occasion to anoint Jesus' feet with some Uh, expensive perfume, which was a fitting gesture of admiration, of course, and adoration. Judas, however, took exception to this act and pointed out to Jesus that this perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. He was a social justice warrior, I suppose. And this seems like a reasonable complaint, except that John further states, and we get Oftentimes we get this in the Bible where God pulls the curtain back and says it's almost Shakespearean, and I think, in fact, Shakespeare copied this from the Bible. Uh, It's always in Shakespeare play. There's somebody behind a curtain listening, or you get to see behind the scenes what's going on. And so John tells us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, that uh, uh, it turns out uh, that Judas didn't really care for the poor but he wanted the money only because he was known to pilfer some of the funds for himself. So his alleged concern for the poor was not sincere. From this earlier story, of course, we learn something early about the character of Judas. So the question for all of us concerns whether our professed love for Jesus is deep and real, or is it superficial and self-serving? Judas fell away, of course, in a most dramatic fashion. None of the other disciples, though, had been able to predict this shattering event. He was apparently a pretty good actor, able to cover his tracks to some degree. And so Judas, who had been their intimate friend, and just until recently, he had been counted as one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles. Now they were all going to be tested. And each of you are going to be tested. Many of Jesus' disciples were beginning to desert him because he was not the Messiah that they had expected. Jesus asked the twelve at that point, are you going to desert me also? They assured him that he wouldn't, that they wouldn't. And so Jesus appears to have accepted to have accepted their affirmation, but he went on to say that one of the apostles was a devil. He was referring, of course, to Judas. In John six, this story illustrates that Jesus was certainly aware of Judas of Judas's betrayal well before it actually happened. As we read in verse twenty four here in Acts, you O Lord, uh, who know the hearts. Of all, As we sit here this morning, we can all put on for one another, and maybe what you see is what you get. That's great. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's phony. Sometimes there's a cover. Sometimes we're pretending. But the Bible tells us right here, remember there's all kinds of things God is teaching us and showing us in his word, that the Lord knows the heart of every individual. And that was the case here, of course, with Judas. It appears that Judas first aligned with Jesus primarily because he believed that he was going to be the king who would overthrow Rome's rule of Israel. And so we should be warned that it is dangerous to use Christ for our own purposes or to attempt to try to make him into something that we want him to be. And so we've seen some early indications that Judas's heart was not fully on board. He seemed unduly concerned about money, and in the end he sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver and perhaps his own safety and reputation. And there are many reasons why people betray Christ. In Matthew, Judas goes to the chief priest and asks, What will you give me? if I betray Jesus to you. Judas betrays Jesus out of selfish interest. He's, again, concerned about his own interest. When Judas realizes, though, that Jesus was not going to be the political leader that he thought he was going to be, Judas handed him over to Rome. I see a lot of young people who grew up under the teaching of Jesus, abandoning that teaching now for ideas that are alien to the Christian faith. You've heard me say a lot, everybody's trying to sell you something all the time. And I see a lot of people buying. They see that when we we see this happen, for example, often with politicians who work for a leader Uh, who looks like they're going to lose the next election. They start resigning. They start coming to the microphone. They start distancing themselves from the guy that they think is going to lose and positioning themselves for their next job. And that's what's happening with Judas. It looks like Jesus is going to go down, and he's going to give him a shove. And so they start putting that distance there. and so forth. Peter's comment that Judas, quote, was numbered with us and obtained a part in the ministry, forms the basis for an important life lesson that I want to point out this morning. Judas was not the first, nor was he the last person to abandon their faith in Christ to pursue some selfish gain. Again and again, we have seen it in our own families in our own church, in our own communities. Moreover, many of us have felt the same temptation ourselves. The most famous story of Judas, of course, is the betrayal of his alleged friend and teacher to the Jewish and Roman authorities. In all the Gospels, Judas took the soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knew Jesus would be after dinner with some of the disciples. Think of that picture. Why was Christ there? We know the story of the garden where Jesus sweat great drops of blood just before the crucifixion. And we read this in John 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered and Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas had been in that very garden with Jesus often. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Judas identified Jesus by a kiss. The Bible gives us good examples and bad examples. Judas was an awful warning in the uncom to the uncommitted followers of Jesus who in his presence, who are in his presence but don't share his spirit but his betrayal is also a powerful reminder of the horrific possibilities within within the human heart there is much to learn from a man who studied under Jesus Christ himself and yet betrayed him with a kiss Faithful, Proverbs says, are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Judas wanted a Jesus who would approve of his plans and approve of his goals. And we live in a world full of that. We see churches compromising at this point. We see professing Christians compromising at this point. We want approval for what we want to do. We want God's blessing upon our disobedience. Please don't be like Judas. Do you remember what the disciples of Jesus who were on the road to Emmaus said after they heard Jesus? We looked at that a few weeks ago in Luke 24. It says, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us? I don't think that was ever true for Judas. How about you? Are you moved? By God's word, it turned out that Jesus was no longer useful for Judas. He wasn't—he uh, wasn't who Judas wanted him to be, and so he walked away. Perhaps he did this little by little, by way of little betrayals. Seniors, beware of little things, because all the little things in your life lead somewhere. All of them. Every story has a trajectory and an ending, including your story. What you do today, what you do tomorrow, what you do next week and next year, where you go to school, what you study, who your friends are, how you work, how you worship, who you marry, and a thousand other big and little things matter more than you can imagine. Judas did not start with a kiss of betrayal. Moreover, his betrayal of Jesus turned out to be much bigger than he expected. Perhaps he didn't mean for it to go quite so far as the crucifixion. Hence, Judas Judas has come to symbolize both betrayal and destruction. Christians who fall away are said in Hebrews 6 to crucify the Son of God afresh and put Him to open shame. Judas declares that Jesus is innocent or righteous. The innocence of Jesus is repeated in two other places in Matthew. Pilate's wife, uh, from her dream, tells Pilate to have nothing to do with this innocent man. And when Pilate washes his hands, he says... I am innocent of this man's blood. The fact that the religious leaders can't put the money, remember Judas returns the 30 pieces of silver because he's guilt ridden. They cannot put the money back into the temple treasury because it was blood money. That suggests that they too recognized that it had been used to betray innocent blood. The blood money is used to fill another prophetic utterance. Psalm 41.9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Even if his early association with Christ was sincere, Judas allowed Satan to have a foothold. Satan transformed that foothold into a chasm. Beware of giving the devil a little place in your heart. Just a little compromise to fit in, and the semi-religious people will be ready to welcome you into their ranks. To compromise, to refuse uh, to forsake a sin, to belligerently claim your independence, is to willfully lay raw meat before the roaring lion Who seeks to devour you? Judas had a love of money that led him to dabble in the treasury, and it set into motion his diabolical destiny. Societies have always reserved their harshest judgment for those who commit some act of betrayal. It's a sin against the trust that is crucial to maintain relationships between two people or a community. Betrayal shatters the fragile bonds that hold us together, and when we lose our ability to live together, we lose our ability to be truly human. That's why betrayal can destroy a marriage, a family, a church, or a community. Perhaps we show betrayers so little compassion because perhaps we're afraid there's a little Judas in all of us. We hate the thought, that we too are capable of betraying trust. When Jesus claimed that one of the twelve would betray him, the anxiety within all of their souls rose. Is it me? We can betray him in the workplace when it will cost too much to act like a Christian. We can betray him with a friend, including a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We can betray him in our homes when the anger is so great that we hurt those who trust us. We can betray him in the sacred commitments that we fail to keep. Your baptism and your weekly partaking in the Lord's Supper are sacraments, which mean they are oaths of loyalty or fealty. I promise Jesus to never forsake you. He's promised to never forsake us. I will never betray you. Sound familiar? Seniors, you have promised over and over and over. I've seen you, thankfully, every week, sitting here, coming to this table. I know you're baptized. weekly partaking of the supper and the sacraments, promising over and over to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ all the days of your life. Those promises are now going to be tested many, many times. The treachery of Judas reveals how sin can make us callous. The Bible records numerous times that Jesus lovingly reached out to call Judas back. Not once did Judas hint at responding. All was dark when Judas approached Jesus in Gethsemane. One final time, Jesus gave Judas a chance. In Matthew 26, it records, this is how Jesus addressed Judas at that very moment. Even after the dastardly kiss, he said, Friend, How many people approach Jesus with a symbolic kiss but never dare to embrace him? He calls the soldiers to bind the hands of the one who had but a short time earlier washed his feet. N.T. Wright observes, Who knows what motivated Judas? We certainly don't. And frankly, I'm happy not to peer down that murky well for too long. I might see reflections I find disturbing. Now, Matthias. A shorter story. A happier story. Another obscure but very, very important player in the story of God's eternal work, and his name is Matthias. Now, we haven't heard of Matthias before. And we will not hear of Matthias again in the Bible. Perhaps your story will be more like his than Judas's story. I sure hope so. His is a story, though, of long-term faithfulness. Faithfulness in little and unseen things. God was preparing him and God was watching him. And at the right time, God would exalt him, perhaps like he was watching young teenage David out in the sheep fields tending his father's sheep. A man after God's own heart. While the apostles were waiting for the Spirit to come before Pentecost, they had some important business to take care of. They needed to replace a replacement for the 12th apostle because 11 wouldn't do And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, verse 15. At this time, Jewish law required 120 individuals to establish a new community with its own council. Luke is suggesting that a new community is being formed that soon would distinguish itself entirely from the Jewish synagogue. This community arose from the remains of the 12 tribes of Israel, and the twelve apostles, now uh, now, that one of those, now that one of those foundation stones had been broken, that is Judas, it was necessary for it to be replaced. There was a special reason why Jesus had chosen twelve apostles in the first place. They represented the connection the apostles had with the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus was building on something that had its roots in the Old Testament. And Paul would refer to this when he wrote in Ephesians 2 about the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. After the betrayal and death of Judas, Peter apparently applied some of what Jesus taught his disciples regarding paying attention to the scriptures. Remember, after Jesus rises from the dead, he appears to his disciples and he starts to open the scriptures to them. He starts to show them how all of the Old Testament Moses and the prophets and the Psalms were talking about him. He recognized that the Bible had Peter does that the Bible had already spoken about Judas and what he would do. Now, I don't know if Jesus specifically had taught Peter that in those days. I'm not sure how Peter arrived at this conclusion but he does. And he declares that the scriptures have to be fulfilled, and he cites this. This is a full recognition that the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, recognition of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the infallible, authoritative Word of God. The scriptures must be fulfilled. So then a process begins. I want to give a little instruction here. We'll get back to Matthias in just a second. How was Matthias chosen? Well, there are four steps. First, Scripture and the Word of Jesus, the standard. Scripture must be fulfilled. Men and brethren, this Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas. we got whatever the Bible says. That's when we get ready to do something, when we get ready to make decisions, we need to search the Scriptures and see what did the Bible have to say about this. Remember, Luke has already told us again that Jesus had opened the Scriptures. They now had a new grasp of how the Old Testament foretold the sufferings and glory and the rejection and reign of the Messiah. Peter goes on to quote from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. So again, I don't know if Jesus pointed to these psalms during the time that he appeared to them and explained their meaning, but the first psalm explains what happened to Judas Judas's defection and death, and the second explained what they should do about it, that is, replace him. In verse 21 through 22 here of Acts, uh, Therefore of these men who have ex- accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Again, I don't know if Jesus had given them that specific criteria. I want you to select someone and they must have been there from the time of my baptism with John until and have personally witnessed my resurrection. So there's a standard. Second was deliberation. So here we play a role and they proposed two. Joseph called Bar Sabbas, who was surnamed Justice, And Matthias. So, Well, we only have two out of the 120 here who meet that criteria. We've evaluated them. So this is what we're left with. Third, they prayed. Verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. The ultimate selection was from the Lord, since He knows everyone's heart. Fourth, casting lots or what we would just simply say God's providence. Everything else we've done, we followed the Scriptures. We've discussed this and made sure we were applying the Scriptures, and we've prayed. And now we're down to two. How do we choose? And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So the practice of casting lots is mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament and 7 times in the New Testament. It occurred most often in connection with the division of land under Joshua, a procedure that God instructed the Israelites on a, a number of times in the book of Numbers. God allowed the Israelites to cast lots in order to determine his will for a given situation in Joshua 18 and 1 Chronicles 24. And the sailors on Jonah's ship also cast lots to determine who had brought God's wrath upon their ship. The point is, it was a common practice. Roman soldiers, we'll see, cast lots for Jesus' garments. Again, N.T. Wright observes, I always feel both sorry and curious uh, about Joseph called Barsabbas. The lot didn't fall to him. He he lost, also known as Justice, who was the candidate not chosen. There is not suggestion that his heart was not right with God or that he was otherwise unsuited for the task. He was, after all, one of the last two in consideration of the eleven. They would have trusted him. We have no idea what happened to him after this, just as we have no idea what happened to Matthias himself. Part of Christian obedience right from the beginning was the call to play, apparently, great parts without pride and, apparently, small parts without shame. There are, of course, no passengers in the kingdom of God and actually no great and no small parts either. The different tasks and roles to which God assigns us are his business, not ours. Caroline, Emma, Leah, and Clayton, you've all been given a great deal, a great deal more than you can even imagine. But Judas was also given a great deal. And Jesus said, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. You might need to be a Matthias, patiently waiting on God, faithfully serving day after day. I had a pastor friend who used to say about church members, I'll take a racehorse, I'll take a mule over a racehorse any day of the week. And so I close with these words of counsel to young people from the Apostle Peter. From 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. Be submissive. And remember the word submissive just means submission, to come under the mission. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. You've heard me say many times, and I'll say it again, humility is always attractive, real humility. For God resists the proud, Peter says, but gives grace, ill-deserved favor to the humble. Therefore, since that's true, therefore, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, Matthias, that he may exalt you, lift you up in due time. And while you're doing that, he says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God loves you. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while... May he perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going to pray now, and I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication for our graduates. Let's go before the Lord. O God, our Father, you have been our refuge and dwelling place in all generations. Before all creation and from all eternity, you are God. But as for us, our days are like grass. As the flowers in the field, we appear but for a moment. The wind passes over us and we are gone. O Lord, make us to know our end and the measure of our days that we might know how frail we really are. May we reflect on the vanity, brevity, and uncertainty of things seen and temporal. And may we pursue those things which which are unseen and eternal. Father, we rejoice today at the sight of these young people that you have called to yourself. You formed them in their mother's wombs and have numbered their days. We pray that you would continue to direct their steps and make their path straight. Grant them the wisdom of Christian humility and the grace of Christian charity. Protect them from temptation and from those who would do them harm. Establish them in righteousness. Equip them for service. Prosper their way and grant them your peace. O Lord, we thank you for the parents of these graduates and likewise for their faithful family, friends, and teachers who have blessed them abundantly. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ himself, who is their Lord and Savior and for his church. May it be obvious to all who know Caroline, Emma, Leah, and Clayton that they are building their lives upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. Fill them with your spirit. Give them a hunger and thirst after righteousness. Give them true faith, true repentance from sin, true wisdom, true courage to stand for what is right and against what is wrong. We ask your blessing now upon them all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's an interesting note. When Jesus asked in the garden, Whom are you seeking? He asked that of the soldiers. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Jesus who betrayed him also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they, the soldiers, drew back and fell to the ground. Literally, Jesus said, I am, which is the language taken from Exodus 3.14 when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. John has already reported that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And now in the face of this human military force, Jesus simply says, I am. And the soldiers' response, they drew back and they fell. John wants us to reflect upon the fact that mere projection of his deity drove armed Roman uh, legions to the ground so do you think he could have easily escaped the cross if this is the power demonstrated in his humiliation what do you think will happen when he returns in glory philippians 2:10 through 11 at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of the father amen amen our great and awesome god who keeps covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments you are the faithful one and today we bless your holy name and lift it high with praise and adoration For you and your mercy condescended to us. You sent your Son that we might have a mediator, that we might be saved from our sins, that we might have peace with you. Indeed, you have remembered your covenant, and we bow with grateful hearts. Send us forth, O Lord, with your blessing and with your strength. Help us to remember your covenant as well, that we might dwell forever in the house of the Lord. So we have looked for for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, our lips shall praise you. Thus we will bless you while we live. We will lift up our hands in your name. Our souls shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and our mouths shall praise you with joyful lips. Bless now this Lord's day for your glory and our good. Bless our rest and our rejoicing and our feasting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now the benediction of the Lord, and the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen.